Let's hear the word of God. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. All things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help me. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let us pray. Father, we often feel like the father in this story. We believe, but we still struggle. We still struggle to believe that you can and you will deliver us. Help us, be there for us in the challenges of life. Help our unbelief. Open our eyes to hear your voice this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I haven't watched too many TV series in a long time. Time. If I turn on the TV, it's usually to watch something like uh, the History Channel or the Discovery Channel or anything that has to do with airplanes. But 
There's a new show out this fall that I just couldn't help but notice. Uh, It's called No Ordinary Family, and the lead character is a mild-mannered police artist whose name is, well, Jim Powell. And the premise of this series is, is this family goes on a vacation to South America, and uh, they're in an airplane touring over the jungle, and there's a great storm, and and this rickety old airplane crashes, and there's a mysterious green substance in the water that they never know exactly what it is. But anyway, they survive the crash, and they come back to America, and all of a sudden they begin to develop these superpowers. Each one of them has a different superpower, and the the dad, the the Jim Powell character, I mean, he's been this mild-mannered artist you know and and now he's tough and he's strong and he's he's able to leap tall buildings in a single bound and he's able to catch bullets in his bare hand and and basically kick uh the bad guys and uh and uh and he's almost invincible i mean you know just nothing can stop him and um i'm not sure how long i'm going to follow this series because it seems to me They spend way too much time with all this angst about whether they should use their new superpowers or when they should use them and and that sort of thing. And that just seems to get old very quickly to me. But in case you're wondering, uh, the show is not based on my life. um, But I want to tell you this. If, If I ever do... Uh, go on a vacation in South America, and I survive a plane crash, and there's this mysterious green substance in the water there, and I come back and I develop superpowers, here's how you will know. Uh, First thing that will happen is I will ask the uh, elders for a, a, a leave of absence from about August through January every year for the next five years. And, uh, During those five years, the Tennessee Titans will go to the Super Bowl every year and will win. And uh, both of my kids will go to graduate school at the same time. And uh, Lisa will finally get a new car, which she certainly deserves. Uh, We will get uh, new projectors and screens for our sanctuary here, which we had to delay because our funds were not... uh, sufficient this year, and there will be uh, an anonymous gift of uh, $2 million given uh, toward a matching fund to build a new church on the, uh, on the new property out on Hicks and Pike. I actually wrestled whether to make that a $1 million gift or $2 million gift, <laughs> and I said, well, it really doesn't matter. You know, our lives are so much defined by our limitations. We, we, we know we can't do this, and we can't do that, and we can't afford to do this, and we're afraid to do that. And so we think we're free, but... In reality, we're very restricted in what we can do and what we're able to do. 
And so I think the first thing that we need to know and we need to try to remind ourselves and ask God to remind us continually about God is that God is a God who can. All the things that we can't do, he can do. All the limitations that hold us back do not hold him back at all. And so you say, well, what can God do? And the answer is, anything he wants to do. Anything he wants to do. Uh, The Bible begins with an amazing sentence. I should say this. uh, My son is, uh, Lisa and I, our son is uh, a senior at Samford, and he's majoring in English. And and they were going to... they brought in a, an author to come and, and give a, a lecture at one of the convocations there, published author. And uh, Brian's professor said, now I want each of you in this class, I want you to write a story. And I'm only going to read the first sentence of your stories. And based on the first sentence alone, I'm going to pick two people that get to have lunch with this author that we're bringing in. And uh, I think he got a good lunch out of that. But, uh, you know, you can tell a lot about a book from that first sentence. Does it grab you? Does it, does it, does it, does it in, intrigue you? Does it, does it say something profound? And I would argue that of all the books that have ever been written, the Bible has the most striking first sentence. I mean, if you had a room full of books and you could only read the first sentence, I think after you read this sentence, you'd say, I got to find out what else is going on in this book. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, this is a book about the God who created everything. Now, that was an astounding statement when Moses wrote it thousands of years ago, but it's even more astounding for us today because we know just how vast those heavens are. We, we know just how big the earth is. We, just, we know how, how complex the chemistry and the physics of it all are. And the Bible says in the beginning, This didn't just happen. It didn't just happen by chance. It didn't just come about. It didn't just evolve. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that lives within us and dwells within us if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. J.B. Phillips wrote a book some years ago called Your God is Too Small. And he says, we can never have too big a conception of God. And the more scientific knowledge in whatever field advances, the greater becomes our idea of his vast and complicated wisdom. Think about it. Is the God who created the heavens and earth 
a big enough God, a powerful enough God, a strong enough God, a wise enough God to help you with whatever you're facing. Job, in Job 42.2, said to God, after he had been through a very painful trial, a desperately painful trial, and he wrestled with God's purposes and God's power, and he finally came to the conclusion after God had revealed himself to Job, I know that you can do all things. That no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You see, he's the God who can. He can do all things. If something isn't happening, it's not because God isn't able to do it. There's another reason. But his purposes cannot be thwarted. Very soon we're going to be Coming up on the Christmas season, we've already got the posters up for our beautiful posters that Jennifer designed for our lessons of, um, our service of lessons and carols. And when the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to be with child, she says, how's this going to be? Because I'm a virgin. And the angel says... Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Now, if God is the God who can do all things, and nothing is impossible with God, and no plan of His can be thwarted, what are the implications for you and for me today? First of all, we should have a great reverence for God. We should have probably most of us, more reverence for God than we have. Uh, we, we live in a time where reverence is out of fashion. Irreverence is in. Reverence is out of fashion. But if you really understand who God is and his power and his might and his majesty you will have a proper respect and reverence for him. The psalmist wrote, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? It kind of puts us in our place. You know, and, and the emphasis, I think, today so much is on God is our friend and God is near. And all of that is true. But how much more powerful that truth is when we realize this isn't just a God with a few superpowers. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth. Uh, J.I. Packer writes, That uh, today, vast stress is laid on the thought that God is personal. But this truth is so stated as to leave the impression that God is a person of the same sort as we are. Weak, inadequate, ineffective, uh, a, a little pathetic. But this is not the God of the Bible. Our 
Our personal life is a finite thing. It is limited in every direction, in space, in time, in knowledge, in power. But God is not so limited. He is eternal, infinite, and almighty. He has us in his hands, but we never have him in ours. Like us, he is personal, but unlike us, he is great. And in all its constant stress on the reality of God's personal concern for his people and on the the gentleness and tenderness and sympathy and patience and yearning compassion that he shows towards them, the Bible never lets us lose sight of his majesty and his unlimited dominion over all his creatures. We should have reverence for God. I want to refer to the book of Exodus, to the story of the Exodus in chapter 14 in uh, this message this morning. Because I think that this is perhaps of all of the miracles of the Old Testament, all of the great demonstrations of God's power, This is probably the most important one Uh, because in this miracle of the Exodus, and that, that involved God raising up a leader in Moses. It involved the, the 10 plagues that were increasingly severe, uh, to ultimately bring Pharaoh to a point that he would let the people go. And then finally, the parting of the Red Sea which the Israelites were instructed to never forget. And when we, uh, when we read, let me, let me, let me begin with, with verse 5. And I'm just going to read this story to you because I want to refer to it a few more times in the message. When the king of England, Egypt was told that the people had fled. The mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped by the sea, by Pahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians." For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. 
her staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now understand, this was probably the mightiest army of its day chasing a band of slaves, a very large band of slaves, but with, with women and children and elderly, no weapons, no training, being, cha- char- being uh, pursued uh, by a great and powerful and uh, uh, sophisticated army for that time. Then the angel of the Lord who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So you see the picture. The Red Sea is in front of them. There's no place to go. Pharaoh and his army is pursuing hard after them. There's no place to go. And they're in a difficult spot. They're at a dead end. They have done all that they can do. And there is nothing they can do now but trust God. And then we read in verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And then here's the summary. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant. Moses. We should have great reverence 
before God. Because he is a mighty God. He is a powerful God. And when the Israelites saw what God had done and how he had delivered them miraculously from the hands of the Egyptians and how he had destroyed the Egyptian army in the Red Sea, they were not only joyful, and they were joyful, but they also had a sense of awe and reverence. Who is this God who's delivered us? There's a psalm about this incident that I, I enjoy. And I remember stumbling across it one day many years ago, Psalm 114. Psalm 114 celebrates this great event in the nation of Israel. It's short. It says, When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language. Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and it fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains that you skip like rams. O hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. The first thing we ought to do if we understand that God is a great God is we ought to have a sense of reverence, an appropriate awe and reverence and respect for Him. The second thing is that we should live by faith. We should live by faith and we should walk by faith even in the midst of trials and challenges that are far greater than we can overcome in our own strength. Think about these Israelites. They were completely helpless. Sometimes I wonder, why did God ever send them down to Egypt in the first place? Why didn't, why didn't God just prevent the famine from happening and let them stay as sojourners in the land of Israel and and then one day they could have just taken over Israel. Well, there are probably a lot of reasons for that. But the one that really stares you in the face is that, that God wanted to reveal his power. God wanted the nation, God wanted his people to see his power. That, that he was able to deliver them. That though they had been in bondage for years and they were so afraid, they didn't even want to try to rebel. They didn't want to try to resist because they knew that they were helpless and the Pharaoh would make conditions worse, which he did. Just, this is our lot, we're slaves. Just let us stay here in Egypt and be slaves. 
And then Moses is called by God to deliver them, and they come to this great climactic moment, uh, this moment where they're either going to they're either going to prevail by God's hand or they're all going to die or be recaptured and brought back into slavery. They're there at the edge of the Red Sea. And Moses says to them, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see Again, let me ask you, let me ask myself, what are the Egyptians in your life that you think you can't overcome, that you think God's just not big enough to deliver you from? What are the obstacles? What are the challenges? What are the trials that you think, I just, this is too big for God? I better just settle back into being a slave. And the words of Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, still speak to us and to those of us in that situation today. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. You know, the greatest obstacle that any of us face is simply the fact that that we're sinners and that we can do nothing to earn our salvation. That is what the Exodus is about. These people were in bondage. They were in slavery. They couldn't free themselves. And yet, God, because he is a God who can, because he is God Almighty, because he is omnipotent and all-powerful, and because he doesn't have the limitations that we have, delivered them miraculously. And everyone who ever comes to faith in Jesus Christ, everyone who ever comes to a saving knowledge of him, and is given eternal life and the hope of heaven, gets it the same way. It's never because we worked harder. It's never because we were born into a better family. It's never because we had some gifts and abilities and and disposition and nature that someone else didn't have. It's always just like it was With the Israelites, it's always by the hand of God alone that he saves us. And so we ought to live by faith. We began by faith. We ought to live by faith. What are you facing? Is it as big as the Red Sea? Is it as big as the Egyptians? There was a father who came to Jesus, first to his disciples. And his son was possessed, the scripture says, with an unclean spirit, a demon. I've been thinking about fatherhood, parenthood. I I will tell you something, that 
those of you who are parents already know. But uh, parenting is a lifetime commitment. You know, I used to think that when you became a parent, well, that, that's about a you know 20-year commitment there. No, no. In 20 years, they move on. But they never move out of here, do they? No. And you just carry that with you wherever you go. And their hurts and their needs become your burdens and your prayers. And uh, it's, it's a great joy. There's nothing more rewarding in the world. But it will drive you to depend on God. It will make you depend on God. So I understand this father, not his particular situation, but I understand how he felt. There is nothing that would grieve your heart more than, than, than to have your child be sick, to have your child uh, uh, have this terrible affliction. In this case, a child who was demon-possessed. This father was distraught. This father was at his wit's end, and he came to Jesus, and he, and he said, the disciples, your disciples tried to cast it out, but they weren't able to do it. Jesus said, how long? How long has he been like this? And he said, from childhood. And uh, it's often cast him into fire and into water. I mean, they had had so many close calls with this son where he'd almost died. You can imagine they had to probably bind up the wounds, take care of him. Because of all that had happened to him. And so this distraught father who's just at the end of his rope. He says. If you can do anything. Jesus if you can do anything. Nobody else has been able to help us. But if you can do anything. Please. Please. Help my son. And Jesus takes it as a lesson, as an opportunity to teach a lesson. He says, if you can, if you can. You come to the Son of God and you say, if you can do something about this, please help me. If you can. And he says, all things are possible for the one who believes. All things are possible for the one who believes because the one we believe in is a God who can do all things. And the father cries out immediately. He says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. We need to do that sometimes, don't we? We believe, we sing the songs with all of our heart. Uh, we believe the scriptures when they're read. But sometimes we're just like this father in our prayer life, in our heart, in our mind. We think, God, if you can, please do something. And I think the voice of Jesus comes out over the centuries. If I can, if I can. All things are possible for one who believes. 
all things are possible for one who believes. Don't pray to a God that you wonder whether he's going to be able to do something about it. Pray to a God who is great and mighty, who created the world, who redeemed his people Israel from bondage to slavery in Egypt through parting the waters of the Red Sea, who brings salvation for his people through the sacrifice of his own son on the cross. And their debts are canceled, their sins are washed away. And he rose victoriously from the dead. That's the God we pray to. And all things are possible for him who believes in a God like that. We should live by faith even in the midst of challenges and in trials. Paul had learned this lesson and so he said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then finally... If we do serve a God who can, a God who is great, a God who is mighty, a God who can do all things, then we can have a sure hope, even in the face of, even in the valley of the shadow of death. A rich young man came to Jesus, and he said, Teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And went to tell Jesus about all the commandments that he had kept pretty well as far as human standards go since his childhood, since his youth. And Jesus said, well, you only really lack one thing. You need to go and sell all that you have give to the poor, and then come and follow me. Now, on the one hand, that's a pretty big request. Because probably none of us have sold literally everything that we had, given it all away. And he's not saying that that's what you have to do in order to become a Christian. This young man had made his possessions an idol. He wanted a little bit of Jesus. He wanted religion. But his heart was still really enamored with and attached to and committed, first of all, to his possessions because he was a rich young man. And this young man went away Sorrowful. I should also say it was a great command that he gave to this young man. It was also a great invitation. Because then he also said, come follow me. You can be a disciple. I don't know if he'd been one of the 12, but he might have been one of the 70. He said, come follow me. Personal invitation. Come follow me. I'm not going to leave you out there by yourself, sell all your possessions, and then go on your own way. He said, no, sell everything that you have and come follow me. But the young man turns down the invitation. And he goes away sorrowful. Sorrowfully because his heart is so attached to the things of this world and to his possession. And so the disciples are are concerned about this. 
And Jesus said, you know, it's harder for a rich man uh, to enter the kingdom of heaven uh, than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And we read in Matthew 19, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You see, the disciples needed to realize, and we need to realize, that salvation, even for a good man, even for a person who had kept the commandments pretty well from his youth, it's impossible. It's it's not just a bridge too far. It's impossible. You can't do it. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And that's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Doesn't depend on you. Doesn't depend on me. It depends on God. What's impossible with men is possible with God. And therefore we have a sure hope even in death. I like the way... The writer of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 7, 24 and 25. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he, Jesus, our great high priest, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Life, this life, doesn't last forever. And we don't know how many days we have, God knows. But for those who know Christ as Savior and Lord, for those who are trusting in the God who can do all things, we can face whatever the future holds. We can face whatever comes because we know that God is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Jesus Christ. Like the Israelites, the challenges before us may seem insurmountable. Like the father whose son had an unclean spirit, the trials we face may seem overwhelming, too big, too difficult. The disciples couldn't do it. Maybe God can't either. But that's only because we forget who he is. He is a great and mighty God. He is the God who can. He is the God who delivered his people from the Egyptians, and he can deliver us, he can deliver you from whatever trial you may be facing. He is the God who can, and all things are possible for those who believe in him. Let us pray. Father, help us this morning, this day, and this coming week 
to have a bigger view of you. To see that, yes, our challenges, our trials, our mountains may be very great. Our God is far greater. What is impossible with men is possible with you. Because all things are possible for those who believe in a God who can do all things. Help us to pray more boldly. Help us to walk by faith. Help us not to tremble like the Egyptians, like the Israelites, and long for the security of bondage in Egypt. But to be awed and to rejoice at the power and the greatness of a God who can do all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.